0: This is Ken, your RV navigator.
1: And Martha, the co-pilot. And I'm going to have a hard time focusing on what I want to talk to you about today. You have a hard
0: time focusing?
1: Because I'm distracted by the beautiful view we have from our picnic table. We are parked overlooking Ketchumac Bay. Um, We've made it to Homer, Alaska. Alaska. The end of the road, so to speak. This is a speak.
0: continuation of the Alaska adventure uh, by your RV navigators for the summer of 2012. And today, we're doing this just a bit early. Because we are about to go off the grid entirely. Ooh. <laughs> well, we're, we're mostly off the grid even now. <laughs>
1: Entirely. The case? Entirely. <laughs>
0: oh. We just tried to set up the old satellite dish. And I can get a signal, but it's not strong enough to get a picture. So Homer. no satellite in Homer.
1: But we didn't come to Alaska to watch TV. We what? came to Alaska Wait. to enjoy the scenery. But it's the Olympics. And finally, we have blue sky and sunshine. You won't have to listen to me whining about the rain and the cold weather, at (laughs) least for a while. And so we've had a chance to enjoy the beautiful views of the Kenai. And boy, you cannot go wrong. If you're you're planning an Alaska trip and you're saying, should I go here or should I go there? The answer is... Well, everywhere. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Hit Alaska and hit it for a long extended period of time because there's lots to do here. And we're sitting here on a bluff we must be three four hundred feet uh, above the ocean and we are looking at volcanoes and mountain ranges uh, almost 360 and the farthest one away is uh, 80 miles we can see 80 miles with a snow-covered mountain and then right across from us are just a snow-covered peaks they're and probably they're probably only 20 or 30 miles away it's really hard to tell uh in the water how exactly how far things are away when you're looking across water
1: and every so often a cargo ship sails by, and yeah. it looks kind of like a canoe because it's so far yeah, away. Yeah, I'm looking
0: down on a boat, and it looks really small, So that, and it's probably pretty big. So we're very excited to be here on a very nice day. We arrived at this campground, um, which is at the very bottom of the Kenai Peninsula, and we are in Homer. And Homer is famous for having the spit, which is a sandbar that sticks out into the water about four miles, and all of the facilities are located there. And we will be taking an Alaska ferry from there out to Kodiak.
1: And from Kodiak, we will get on a plane and fly into the wild blue yonder. Where there will be no internet, no cell phones, and that's why we are talking to you about No vendor, roads,
0: like. no cars, no nothing. Just uh, lots this, of bears. This is uh, the, really the kind of culmination of our adventure here to go off and see the Katmai Bears. Katmai is a national park, in case you didn't know that. And it is uh, very remote with no towns and no roads and no people to speak of. So you have to roam its shores with uh, an airplane or a boat. So we're taking a little bit of both and getting out there. And we're going out there for five or six nights. That's after we leave Kodiak, which, of course, is very far and very remote from our hometown. And we have driven about 5,500 miles so far. And I figure this is about halfway on the Big Alaska Adventure. Today is day 68. So we have been gone a little over two months. And we have seen half of Alaska.
1: We really have enjoyed camping in yes. Alaska, and would recommend it to you as the way to see Alaska. Even if you yes. don't want to take the time to drive fifty five hundred miles with your camper, um, we meet many many people who have flown into Anchorage and rented RVs yes. here, which is a very viable thing to do um, because there are so many RVs here. Competition keeps the daily rental prices at a bit more reasonable. And we've we've rate. heard
0: in the fifty dollar range per day for f- renting an RV, a Class C, but 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 that's a a, a darn good deal, I would say. Um, But we, of course, have enjoyed having our own RV. But if you don't have enough time, then this is the way to do it. Because one of the things that has surprised me, I guess in looking back on the the distance that we've come, is, is that most of those 5,500 miles came in the first couple of weeks. Getting and here. Since our last podcast, mid-month podcast, I don't think we've driven 200 miles. We certainly haven't bought any gas. Definitely haven't bought any gas, except for the car. <laughs> we, we do do quite a few nice day trips, but that's uh, the typical sort of thing that you do anyway. And So many of these Class C people <laughs> use their Class C, of course, as a car because they don't have a car, and and just two nights ago we were in bed and at 11 30 or midnight an rv pulls in next to us and they have apparently had been off on a day of sightseeing and of course you can go so late, late
1: in alaska because the sun is still out and it's
0: light and what <laughs> the heck we still find it hard to <laughs> go to bed after midnight <laughs> Uh, although the solstice has passed us by over a month, we are still uh, in the 11, range, depending on, on how far north or south you are uh, for sunset. So it is definitely light late. And we had a campfire last night, and it was, well, it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it seemed like. But it was actually 9 o'clock or 9 or 10. So uh, that is a definite advantage. And, and being able to see the sky and the sunset is another pleasure, which we have not had much of.
1: But I certainly want to recommend to you to come to Alaska, even if you are still a working person, and fly into Anchorage. Uh, The drive to Fairbanks to the north and Denali is not all that far, and certainly down here in the Kenai is not all that far, a few hundred miles. So you could do an excellent two week vacation and see a lot of the Uh main Uh sights that Alaska has to offer without doing all the driving that we have done and will be doing again on our way home. You won't see everything we saw, but you'll see a lot of the biggies.
0: And of course, the Kenai in particular is Fisherman's Heaven. And we have... Been kind of immersed in the fishing culture because a lot of the people in the campground are fishermen, and we have just kind of uh, watched the fishermen going fishing going on, and it is a whole different experience up here because of the salmon run, which I think we explained once before. But um, during the summer, the f- the salmon come back from the ocean, go up the freshwater streams, and lay their eggs for the next generation, and and, die. Then, and then they die. So with good fish management they can take all those dying fish and harvest them and they do that and there are multiple ways of fishing which is pretty interesting to us you see fishermen doing the traditional rod and reel in the stream type of fishing but you also see uh, gill netting Which is an interesting way of fishing. And then you see just netting. Dip netting. Dip netting, thank you. Which I
1: think of as taking a giant butterfly net and walking out (laughs) into the water, which is quite cold. People wear hip boots and waders, and waiting for the salmon to fly into your net. To swim into your net. (laughs) Well, it's like a butterfly net. Yeah, so... And uh, and then the people bring them back to shore, and there are strict rules about how many you can get every day. Um, And they clean them right on the beach. And... um, (laughs) All the leftovers are,
0: and they don't do a real good job of taking off the meat. Uh If I was cleaning them, I would do
1: a lot better job. Yeah. Yeah. So many leftovers, the gulls can't get to them all, so it was kind of smelly in some places.
0: So if you take a look at the website, you'll see some uh, photos of the heads and uh, the beach littered with carcasses, and they just let them sit there to rot, and then they go out into the ocean and it's returned to uh, to the ocean as uh, fish food, I guess. It's really something to see all of these salmon coming in, and that's one kind of. And That's a red, red salmon. And then another thing they do is, is they snag fish. And that's where you use a hook, but you don't care what part of the body it connects into. And you just kind of drag them in as the, as the hook connects with the body. And you just drag the fish into your net. Because the fish are dying, and we're talking about millions and millions of fish, it's okay to just harvest them in this way. We talked to a guy who was netting and he had 150 fish. And this is a lot.
1: But we should add that some of these fishing techniques are only um, allowed to be done by alaskan residents Uh, so we are excluded from the dip netting for example (laughs) and some of them are even more closely confined to native alaskans who do what they call here subsistence fishing um, In that if they don't catch enough fish now they may not have enough food to make it through the winter and this is quite controversial because these folks are used to doing things the way their forebears have done them And sometimes the regulators come in and say, you can fish here, you can't fish there. Very, uh, on a daily basis. are trying to control it it in a scientific way to make sure that fish come back again next year. Tons of rules. Thus far, I'm sure many of you will not agree with us, (laughs) we have decided to watch the fishing rather than participate in the fishing Mm. because when you add it all up, uh, the gear, the license, uh, the guide, the boat trip, the free fish are far from free and we've camped with some people who have had to buy extra freezers for their rigs. They took to, out their
0: dining room table
1: to, <laughs> and bought a freezer at Home Depot. To put 200 pounds of fish in their rig. <laughs> I really in. like seafood, but I'm not sure that it's worth it to me to be eating 200 pounds well, of and then fish the, uh, and, and for costs, the next year. It
0: costs it dollars three fifty per pound to send it back FedEx back to the lower 48. In our last campground, there was a The story of the camper who went to the fish processing plant, had 900 pounds worth of food cost him, or fish, cost him $3,800 to ship his fish back home. I don't know if that's quite worth it.
1: You can go out to eat nine hundred pounds for thirty-eight hundred dollars.
0: Uh, I guess if you get in the fish mood and the fish craze, this is the way you go, you go about it. Now the people yesterday went out halibut fishing, and halibut is the other big fish that's uh, that's caught here, and the, you catch those out in the ocean, not uh, off from the shore. And they caught, well, six two per person. So they had six salmon, or six halibut. A halibut is substantially bigger than a salmon. The salmon run in the 10-pound in range. Jeez, I sound like a real expert, don't I? By now you are. <laughs> And they got about 60 pounds worth of meat. Now, that to me is a lot of meat. But we went to the store and priced halibut, even here in Alaska. It was $21 a pound.
1: We don't understand why it's so expensive, and so far nobody has been able yeah, to explain salmon why. Salmon was in
0: the $6 or $7 range, but wow. Uh, so that's what we've been doing here in Alaska.
1: And, of course, it's impossible to quantify the enjoyment that yeah, people yeah. have from well, going fishing.
0: And, of course, you have to rent the boat and have yeah, a guide and that. all that sort of stuff, right. too. So this is not... Right.
1: But obviously for yeah, a lot of people, expenses. it's the thing to do while you're here. and Especially in the Kenai. We're kind of weird, I yep, think. Yeah, these and rivers here are
0: world famous for the salmon fishing, and people come from around the world, but we just come and watch. And it is fun to watch, and we have learned a lot. But even at this time of year, you know, we have not had reservations at uh, almost any campground, and we've been kind of surprised at that. Alaska is not really all that crowded, and there are a lot of campgrounds around here, and they are scenic.
1: Let me revise that. Okay. We've had reservations everywhere we've gone because I'm well, hyper about getting reservations. Y- and I like people well, to but the res- the I mean,
0: you call be- me. the day before or two days before. But, I mean, not like we've had reservations that we had to make at home. No, you certainly... You've just called more or less to check to see if they had space. Right. And we have never... We've we never had
1: made, any trouble at all.
0: Never had any trouble. And, even the and we're route, traveling we're in uh,
1: with another couple with an equally large motorhome. Sure. So.
0: And you know that because you've been listening to the RV Navigator podcast.
1: So um, you really can travel in a whimsical way which is how i really love to do it
0: and whimsical is what we planned on doing when we left home my thinking was that we <laughs> when the weather was bad we'd sit tight and wait for the weather to get better and we sat tight <laughs> in valdez and it never did get better nine days uh, so even that's that was a great idea and one which we have stuck to but uh, and we have had a nice leisurely pace but the weather has been really bad, so and cold. So we are very happy for this nice weather that we're having now, and we certainly hope that it continues. As far as mass media goes, uh, last time I mentioned that we hadn't had any over-the-air TV in quite a while, but as you uh, move around the city of Anchorage, uh, there is TV down here in the Kenai, and because it's rebroadcast from Anchorage, Anchorage is a statewide st- channel, right? So they have repeaters that uh, take the Anchorage stations, and so we watch the same channels. now that we don't get any satellite all over this area. But as soon as we leave Anchorage, uh, we will probably be once again without TV, radio, n- almost non-existent. A little bit of, a little bit every once in a while, only near the satellite boats. radio. Beep. Nothing at all. Even in the car, which has a factory install system, none there. As far as Internet goes pretty good in many places. Very good in many places. We've been extremely happy with that. Um, Since last speaking with you, I have got my iPad, my Verizon iPad, connected up to AT&T's data network. Because as you
1: recall from his phone, we don't even want to talk about that. There is no Verizon here in Alaska
0: at the present time. But my little $10 phone has been working pretty good. Um, We even have it connected to the home phone, which is nice. My Verizon iPad that I took into Apple, and I said can I connect this up to AT&T's network as long as they have a nice network up here in Alaska? And they said, oh, no problem. And then I put the SIM card in, and it didn't work. So I took it to AT&T, and the last time when I took my phone into AT&T to see if I could get them to give me a SIM card, and they were like, give me a break, uh, the AT&T would do that with the iPad. We took out the SIM card from Verizon, and we put the SIM card in from AT&T and got me uh, a data plan for my iPad. Which... But it
1: had to be initialized and connected to the network in an AT&T iPad, iPad right. at
0: the store. I could not do the connection, and Apple couldn't either, because I have to take that SIM card and activate it in an iPad from a AT&T account, not from a Verizon account. Can you
1: account. imagine how happy Ken was when we found an Apple store in Anchorage? He was ready to levitate with joy. And unlike and most we have of the Apple stores update,
0: updated our OS now we are now Mountain Lion users.
1: And unlike most of the Apple stores Nobody that we visit about. in the lower 48, um, it really wasn't very crowded. And the people there had time to speak with us <laughs> they without an heard, appointment. They haven't heard about it Apple was quite off, nice. off
0: from Anchorage. Yeah, it was a nice store but, uh, and not too busy, which is really kind of a shock. Well, so lots of exciting things in Alaska. And you're going to look at our pictures and say, wow, I'm going to want to go there. Because we have some great ones now. Finally. Finally, yes. Well, we used to kind of measure our the quality of our scenic days in rolls of film. And we would measure them in zero roll days, one roll days, two roll days. And a very good day would be a four roll day, which... In the film days, was a 36 exposure roll of film. So four rolls was 156 pictures.
1: So recently, we took a nine hour boat trip on a beautiful sky blue clear day. (laughs) Glaciers, animals. We saw glaciers. We saw animals. And how many pictures did you take?
0: Over a thousand.
1: And then I was so snapping now, a few so, myself. So,
0: so now we have to come up with our new criteria. What is a good a thousand roll a thousand picture day? A four digit day. F- oh, oh, that's good. A f- it's a four digit day. Wait, four digit for you or four digit for me? You. How I never. I never take. How it. many did you take? Three hundred. Oh, only, only three hundred. And I was running two cameras. So if we, d- so we call it a four three day. <laughs> four digits for me and three digits for you. <laughs> so we can have a three three day, a three two day.
1: No, I have a lot of three threes. No, no. I have a lot of three-digit days.
0: Yeah. But But you don't have
1: many four-digit days.
0: So it can be a three-three day, though, right? Yep. (laughs) So how do you rate your scenic days? Hmm. By the number of pictures that you take? Hmm. There might be some other criteria there.
1: How many scrapbooks you make?
0: Okay, whatever you got.
1: Well, now that we're so well-connected, we've actually had a chance to catch up on some RV news, which oh, yes. we normally like There's to RV share with you this month. from home. Um, and at times this summer we've been rather negligent in doing that because <laughs> it hasn't been easy to get any RV news. And we're very happy to read that um, our friends in Elkhart, a town warm yes. to our hearts in the Midwest, which suffered home. so drastically from unemployment uh, starting in 2008, has halved their unemployment rate and uh, many people have gone back to work. Um, as we've talked about before, they've done a good job of retooling the kinds of vehicles that they're making. Uh, Motorhomes like ours are coming out in dribs and drabs, but they're producing a lot of more affordable uh, trailers and rigs that um, people can buy that aren't going to live in them full-time.
0: Yes, Now, the next article is one that you may have uh, an interest in, but we haven't, surprisingly enough. And that is how to restring a pleated RV window shade.
1: We have a niece who is practically (laughs) fearless when it comes to do-it-yourself because her philosophy is you just get on YouTube and you watch one of those videos (laughs) of whatever it is you're trying to do, and they show you how to do it. And then she does it. And so, of course, there's a YouTube video for how to restring your window shade.
0: And we have our window shades have lasted a nice long time, and we've never had to do a window shade. But our friends, our traveling, tra- I'm on traveling companions here, have had to do that. Uh, and most people that you talk to in the RV, uh, if they stay in their RV very long, have had to redo their shades, um, the cords. But uh, we haven't. So we understand, though, that it is a project which an individual can do, and that you can just sit right down and do it. And if you look on on uh youtube you can find the video we will of course put the link to it on the rv navigator website so that you can just click on it and watch it oh and by the way you might want to watch the cat my bear video if you want to see the bears there's a live video cam of the cat my bears catching fish going up a waterfall so they catch the bear the fish in their hands as the fish jump up the
1: in their mouth They don't have hands.
0: Well, in their paws.
1: No, in their mouths.
0: No, they cut them in their paws.
1: Watch the video. (laughs)
0: Well, it depends on when you watch, I would assume. We have been roughing it. uh, On several nights since we talked to you last, we have actually spent quite a lot of time in the boondocking realm.
1: Well, as roughing it as you can be when you're in a motorhome, I don't feel too sorry for myself when it's rainy and 52 degrees and I'm looking at people in tents who are also boondocking.
0: Yeah, (laughs) That's really the question we have uh, is what is the definition of boondocking? We often struggle with this because you can have various levels of boondocking. I think people are afraid to boondock because they think boondocking is uh, camping without any amenities and we certainly don't believe in that. And this article called Boondocking Basics talks about all the levels of boondocking that you can go through And you you can pick one which you're most comfortable with. We like to have our generator running sometimes.
1: And one of the worries with that is that if you're in a confined area, the other day we boondocked in the Fred Meyer parking lot, which is (laughs) the grocery chain here in Alaska. And if you are boondocked too closely to one another and everybody's running their generator, it can get kind of deafening. Or fumy. We have also boondocked in Alaska in a state park where the sites were widely separated from each other and then running a generator was comfortable, easy, you didn't bother anybody else. And I actually had more electricity uh, when it (laughs) came time to make dinner than I have had when we've been plugged in. The queen of
0: 50 amps? Because in Alaska, it's usually 30 amps. So there she had 61 amps coming from the old generator, so she was able to make everything she wanted. We run the generator just a little while because we have uh, four batteries and we have an inverter. So the inverter runs the TV and the satellite dish and all that sort of good stuff while we're out there and charges our iPads and phones and things. So you need to think about an inverter. So a converter translates electricity from 120 volts down to... 12 volts to charge the batteries and to run your lights and the other 12 volt items. An inverter takes 12 volt and brings it up to 120 so that you can run your TVs and other things that need 120 volts um, from the batteries. Now the inverter uses a lot of battery power so you can't run a long time or big heavy duty appliances on an inverter but it does provide you with a basic amount of shore power.
1: And when it's time to run the hairdryer or make coffee, you've got to turn on the generator.
0: That's right. But it will run the microwave for a limited amount of time and it would make coffee for a limited amount of time. So the inverter gets its power from the batteries and the batteries get their power from either the generator or from the solar panel. So you can have enough power uh, to do what you want to do as long as you think about it in advance. Lots of people have four or five solar panels on the roof which provides them with enough so that they don't have to run the generator. And if you are somebody who doesn't have... um, an actual generator built onto the chassis like we do these little hondas and yamahas uh the inverter generators are really a good buy these days and uh, reasonably priced and will provide you with quiet stable power that will run all of your electronics
1: and the ones that are really noisy are the ones that the contractors use that are cheaper
0: yeah they have, they're not the inverter kind. And it's not a reliable power, you said, for running a computer well, or something? You need, you need a very stable 60 hertz and very stable power. And it's, it's okay, but when you plug in something new, uh, another item that uh, it sometimes gets spikes, and you wouldn't want one of those to blow out your one of your systems if you have your computer connected up to it.
1: And of course when you're boondocking another issue to think about is management of your fresh water. Yes. Um, We don't have to be very thrifty because we have big water tanks uh, but we are from the Lake Michigan area where water is in plentiful supply and I suspect that many of the things we do when we are boondocking to use a little less water are things you're probably doing at home if you live in a drier part of the country especially this summer when so much of the country is under drought. Uh, so people who are serious boondockers do things like collect their gray water and use it to flush their the toilets. Toilet, right. uh, we don't get into that. But as this article will illustrate, there are various levels of boondocking that you can get into depending on where you want to be and how much time and energy you want to devote to managing your utility usage.
0: But I, it's interesting that I think that here that much of the boondocking is not as cheap as it used to be. Uh if you boondock in an organized campsite, usually run by the city or the state or the federal government, they still cost you 20 bucks a night, which is, has been a little bit of a surprise to me. Now, in Alaska, there is, is no shortage of places to park and boondock because most of the turnoffs, which are frequent and big, uh, allow you to boondock. But unfortunately, they are not near the cities like where we are now, so that you would have to drive a long way. Even though the place you would be would be very scenic, it is not near the attractions that you might like to see.
1: But certainly, for people who are not traveling at the leisurely pace that we are, that are trying to put right. in a lot of miles every yeah, day and get from pour. one place to another, um, you can yeah. just pull over and, and spend the night and save yourself some money.
0: Yeah, but I've been thinking for that. For that Willowaw, for instance, where we camped, had no water to speak of. Had had a hand pump. Had a hand pump. Had no dump station. Right, but was a nice park for us to boondock in. Beautiful sights. But you need to be prepared for that kind of boondocking um, because you (laughs) will be without any services. And, of course, pit toilets, which are usable, but not as much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We are driving our motorhome, as you know, and we have the top five motorhome tips to avoid while driving your RV. Driving tips to avoid RV insurance claims. Uh So what things would you not want to do
1: well the, the number one one I can recall a dear neighbor friend of ours um Coming out of a refueling situation and cutting things a bit close <laughs> and putting a major bash in his motorhome side
0: with the fuel pump. If you're thinking about buying island. a fifth wheel or a motorhome, be sure to look at the distance between the back wheels and the end of the motor motorhome or travel trailer. That distance is the swing area. And the longer that is, the more problematic it'll be because you're not used to having that big thing sticking out the back end. And if it swings around, it will take out something. And we talked to our, our friends uh, that we interviewed a while ago, and they took out the whole back end of their coach. And our next-door neighbor took out a gas pump.
1: <laughs> Very so,
0: embarrassing and quite expensive. Uh, yeah, that, that could be quite dangerous. So pay attention to that when you buy an RV and when you're driving one, especially once you get once you've got your RV.
1: And the number 2 RV accident is caused when people are making right turns because right turns are tighter than left e, turns.
0: Yeah, uh, because you got to go yes, right around that corner. And that's why a lot of corners are rounded, but square corners are especially tough in tight situations. And
1: you've traveled behind big trailers that that warn you uh, usually on their mud flaps or on a sign on the yes, back, wide right um wide right turns and they kind of pull into the left lane in order to turn right. And if you have a and big that's a rig, necessity. you need to do that as well.
0: And you need to know how to do that so that you can make those turns without taking out the light poles that are on the corner.
1: Another thing you never worry about when you're in a car is how tall your car is. And when you are in a motorhome, you have to pay close attention to the heights of bridges, to overpasses and gas station cover areas. Which is where
0: I had my problem, yes. Our
1: fantastic fan uh, was no more after we went through that refueling don't even situation. like to think
0: about that scraping sound as we go and of course there are a bunch of videos and if you go to YouTube I'm sure you can look at those of people whacking off various parts of their roof accessories with uh, <laughs> with a bridge
1: and I also have to think back as we talk about this topic to some folks we camped in South Africa with who oh. ran into a tree branch and it, and kind it had sea. kind yeah. of an elbow in it which just dug into their, oh, yes. into their roof and the way they finally got out from under is they had to let all the air out out of of their tires. tires to be low enough to be able to clear that tree branch so um when i'm trying to help ken park i try to look above as much as i look to the left and the right because mother nature can get in your way
0: and then backing the motorhome now the motorhome actually has a very nice feature and that's the backup camera and i have almost But what
1: if you don't have that
0: I know. Most motorhomes have a nice backup camera, which you need to use religiously when you back up. As a matter of fact, it makes most uh, of your co-pilots very nervous because I can usually see better than the co-pilot what, how back, far back I can go. But if you don't have a, a camera back there, then be aware because things get are low... And you can whack right into them.
1: Little posts that have the yes. number sign on it at or the campsite. The pedestal. Yeah, yeah. And our latest car, our Jeep, has a backup yes, camera as well, which I'm finding that I am happy like, to have. Actually, yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's becoming more and more so accessible. I think we've talked about everybody. wireless ones for your trailer too, and I definitely would consider that uh, an asset. Roof and side swipe damage. Side swiping. Ooh. That's where you don't see that thing next to you. And I have a nice little ding on ours where I hit a pole that was about three feet off the ground with the front corner of the the motorhome, and because I just plain didn't see it. That can happen to everybody, but I didn't file an insurance claim, but I could see that uh, if it was much worse, I would have.
1: Let's think about something
0: positive. Yes. If you are listening to this on an Apple product then you probably need to think about getting the new app for podcasts. I've had trouble with the iOS version of iTunes because it includes the podcasts. And podcasts are what I listen to mostly on my iPhone and iPad, but they are hard to access because of iTunes. So Apple has recently come out with a new app. That is strictly for podcasts. And it's free and it will take your podcasts and reorganize them and let you get subscriptions, which has always been difficult in the past, and it will allow you to listen to your podcasts, of which the R V Navigator should be at the top of the list. Of course. Of course. It makes podcasts much more user friendly. And that's a, a good thing from my point of view. And you also you might want to consider getting Mountain Lion and the new OS.
1: What's that gonna do
0: for me? It's going to give you fabulous new features.
1: Such as. The only thing I noticed so far is that the Google bar and the Earl bar are one and the same.
0: Wonderful feature. That's that's so. So I just start typing in there. Yes, you can. Anything you want is just right there. That's about it from me. Okay. <laughs> We've only had it a day or two. What do I know?
1: Another gizmo that I think is a good idea, and as you know, dear listeners, I'm not all that excited about gizmos, um, (laughs) is a device that keeps your battery on your toad powered up while you're towing. I have vivid memories of um, being new motorhome owners and... Putting our Jeep on and putting in the brake buddy and driving to Florida and not noticing that our <laughs> rear window on the Jeep was flapping <laughs> up and down and wide open as it rained and snowed and whatever other weather we went because through it, it, Because the brake buddy had drained the battery and when of the Jeep. The battery Jeep. was
0: dead. The window popped up, and you couldn't keep it shut. So then we finally got to Slip's Florida, kind of shock.
1: and we had to get jumped <laughs> by the park ranger to get out of the lane in the campground well, where people I don't people carry jump in. cables.
0: I'm not going to have to jump my toad. But in this case, I did.
1: So since then, I'm much better trained. And every night when we park, I always unplug the um, brake buddy and turn it off.
0: And but, I carry jumper cables.
1: But with this gizmo, you wouldn't have to do that, right? Because it would keep it...
0: To- no, even with jumper cables, you have to jump up from your motorhome, which means you'd have to jockey around so that you could get the cables uh, at the battery. If you can manage to I arrange little, yourself accordingly. This is a way to keep it charged. And... and a lot of uh, toads use up power while they're driving, going down the road.
1: I expect on an especially mountainous day when you're doing a lot of braking, maybe more so. No. No? <laughs> Why not?
0: Why? Why because we... the,
1: cause it's braking.
0: But the brakes don't use any electricity.
1: The arm does from the brake buddy that pushes the brakes.
0: Oh. Our brake buddy has a battery built in, so it doesn't use any.
1: And it always says that there's a problem with our engine power. Okay. But I think it's lying.
0: So that's an RV navigator problem, which we will have to solve offline. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe some of our dear listeners have uh, some sort of help for us with the beautiful sun beating down on us we just can't really stay here too much longer because it's just too nice we have to go out sightseeing and that's what alaska is for so look on the website for some great pictures and we will see you mid-month with exciting reports well, from the panel. Either that or I will have a cast or no arm or no leg. <laughs> <'Cause> oh. I... <laughs> we, we want to... This is going to provide some very big motivation for our listeners to tune in.
1: We want some what videos is he going to look like of what we're about to do, and you end up sitting <laughs> on a beach on a little holding camp stool with your camera in your lap, watching the bears eat salmon, and if they feel like coming your direction, they come closer and closer and closer well, and closer. The, the
0: rule is... Don't move. Well, And don't back away. The, the bears are not threatening and that you don't approach them, but if they approach you, you just sit tight. Pretend you're a rock. Pretend you're a rock.
1: I don't know if I can pretend I'm a rock while a bear's coming Well, we coming might have me. some
0: interesting videos of... The the co-pilot as a rock.
1: (laughs) So maybe we should end this by saying... You should
0: get licked by a bear. Nice knowing you. (laughs) Ooh, nice knowing you. And we hope to see you in a campground near us in the near future. Bye for now.